0: Welcome to Attention to Detail, the classical music listening guide, where we give you the tools to understand, appreciate, and enjoy listening to classical music.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our ninth episode of Attention to Detail. I'm sorry that this is actually, we're going a little out of order here because. Some things happen. We're trying to find the most fantastic interview guest for our, our last episode uh, in our live performance series, so that will be coming out shortly. But in the meantime, we have a fantastic guest to join us today for our episode, Philomena Duffy, who is is our uh, interim director of operations here at the ISO. Phil, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: All right, so I came on board to the ISO. Uh, I mostly worked in facilities and room reservations, and and from there, moved up. I now do some production-related activities. I work with stage crew and our building engineer to make sure things are operating around here. Big job.
1: Yeah, I feel like you do the majority of the stuff that happens at the ISO.
2: People it,
0: ask you the most favors. Yeah, like we. You wanna want to be on your good side. That's <laughs> right. Which, all the keys. Welcome to our podcast. So much.
1: <laughs> yeah. So just another thing that's on your plate at the moment. But we're we're delighted to have you. You're also, uh, you have some classical music background. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. So my undergraduate degree was in music education. I was an oboe player, uh, and I taught band for a year, um, and then I went back and got my master's in arts administration, so I'm definitely involved in music, not super, you know, it's, it's pretty surface level, but I've got some background knowledge in it, I'd say, for sure.
1: And you're a pretty good oboe player, if I recall from our classical jam, sounded very good, so oh, so coffee. don't sell yourself short. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you played some good Holst?
1: Yeah, oh yeah, uh, Holst was hard. our uh, classical jam this yeah. year. Yeah. So, our topic for today, I'm hoping it'll be a fun one. The reason why we have you here, Phil, along with along with Hannah, uh, is, I thought one of the one of the big questions that our listeners may have in trying to familiarize themselves with the world of classical music and trying to learn a little more is who are some composers that I should know, who are some famous composers? And not only that, but also, kind of what's, what's their deal, what do they represent, how does their music sound, and you know, w- will I like them? Because we have this huge collection of, there are probably at least 100 relatively famous classical composers whose name might be known to, to people who have never gone to a concert before, and they all have very different music, it sounds very different, not everybody likes everything, um, and so, I wanted to take some of the most famous composers today and talk a little bit about who they are and what we what they represent. And you know, you guys know this. Uh, our listeners may have gleaned this from listening to our podcast. I have absolutely no pop culture uh, <laughs> knowledge of of any sort. I, I'm kind of my life is, I think, lived at least. 30 years in the past, if not 200 years in the past.
0: What a hipster.
1: Yeah. <laughs> in your own sense. Not even, though. It's like... Um, it,
0: it's the opposite. Opp- yeah, it's like... I, I Yeah. But I think it's like an alternative hipster. Anyways, we can talk about that later.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would love to uh, be considered a hipster, but I don't think I am. No. Actually, I don't. I don't know if I would love to be considered a hipster. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I know nothing about pop culture whatsoever. Hopefully you guys know a little more than than I do. I think that's probably true. And so what I want to do is is play a, a fun game here. Hopefully it'll be a fun game. I'm going to talk about some of the most famous composers that we have in classical music, give a as best of a breakdown as I can of who they are and what their music represents, sounds like whatever. Then I will also try to suggest a pairing of sorts of some sort of figure from history from the arts from something that is like these famous composers that some, that people might be more familiar with and i want you guys to try to come up with the most relevant or applicable person, phenomenon, trend in pop culture that we can to relate to these composers.
0: I don't know if I'm the best person for this either. I, I think you can do this, yeah. though. I
1: think you you've got the uh, Broadway knowledge.
0: I I do, but but Phil had to like tell me who Billy El what's her name Billy Eilish Eilish yeah she had to tell me who that was today. I do and, watch a lot of Bachelor, so I feel very okay. For all this. right,
1: um,
0: you're gonna kick my butt.
1: Well, this okay. is we should talk about that later because one I have no clue who Billy Eilish is. Never heard that name. Before, I didn't in my either.
0: Life. She was on the radio. Or, or your playlist or
3: something.
1: But two, my only uh, way that I keep in touch remotely with pop culture is that I watch every episode of The Bachelor. Yes. That's right.
3: yeah. yes. I'm
1: watching tomorrow night with our development office.
0: Are you really? Uh huh. That's incredible.
1: I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be really fun. <laughs> All right, so the first composer, I don't know why I'm starting with, with this composer first, but just first person on my list that I wanted to to talk a little bit about is Mozart one of the most famous composers, no doubt. I think a lot of people have seen Amadeus or uh, heard of Mozart before in one way or another. And uh, for me, Mozart, it should go without saying that all the composers that we talk about are fantastic composers and masters of, of writing classical music, incredibly good musicians. So when I describe how they feel to me, it's just kind of what extra, what what differentiates them from other people. And for me, so much of what differentiates Mozart is his complete mastery of musical language where it's it's more than almost anyone else, it feels like he always knows what instrument should play at what time? What what melody should come next? And he that becomes juxtaposed with this incredible like humor, wit, um, comedy in in a lot of his music, drama, and so he has this unbelievable knack for both great composition, but also great comedy, drama, and so I've always I always think when I think of Mozart, I think of Shakespeare. Yeah because it's both the most firm command of the English language. you know, if we all we all learned in ninth grade English class, we read some Shakespeare play. It's amazing English, but it's also moments of potty humor, moments of intense drama. Those can happen in very close proximity in Shakespeare. So I've always thought of those two hand in hand. So I want to play I want to play a clip that illustrates that that from Mozart. So this is I'm going to play the beginning and the end of one of his most famous operas, The Marriage of Figaro. It's maybe a top 5 most famous possibly best opera ever composed. And I'll just play two short clips from it and then we'll talk about them very briefly. <laughs>
3: All right, so that's
1: that's the first clip. That's the very beginning of the opera. Good music, right?
3: Yeah.
1: yeah. So the reason why I wanted to play that specifically is because um, Merger Figaro* is kind of a comedy, but there are very serious moments, and you know this is supposed to be a serious opera. Mozart loved to break the rules, opera is such a stuffy environment and you're supposed to start with a you know, a nice aria and you probably didn't notice because you don't, I don't know if either of you speak Italian, but that character, the the opera opens, it's this delightful music and the character of Figaro is measuring this dresser and so he's singing about like the number of inches that this dresser is, so he's just saying like, 5, 10, 15, 20. That's like the entire text of his first aria, just uh, him measuring a dresser. And it's the most like, it's the most serious music and it's the stupidest scene you could open on. You know, it's not, it's like this this character just stupidly measuring a, a dresser with his ruler. And it's like the least serious way to start a very serious opera. And so it reminds me so much of like Romeo and Juliet starts with these two buffoons, like, walking down the street, telling jokes to each other. Yeah. Like, the most sad, serious. And so I always... it's it, That's, like, the Mozartian wit that I love of, like, starting this serious opera with a guy just measuring his, his dresser. <laughs> now, let me play for you the other clip. Uh, in this other clip, this is the very end of the opera, and there's this character of the Count who's basically a playboy, and he's trying to flirt with all these women in the opera... And then at the very end, he gets, he kind of gets caught and he comes to this realization that he's been bad. And it's, it's the flip side. It's this playboy doesn't deserve any sort of serious treatment character, the Count, who suddenly has this unbelievably poignant moment of like recognizing his faults. His faults being basically that he's like a player. But it's it's the alternative. He's taken this comedic scenario and made the most beautiful music. So here's here's the end of Marriage of Figaro. Whoa. So what do you guys think of that? It's great, right? Mm, it's like and it, so nice. it's beautiful and it's like the complete opposite from the beginning of yeah. the opera. You get um so that's that's my thought on Mozart. So now it's the balls in your guys court. Do you have any what are your ideas about uh who we could come up with who's who's our modern day Mozart? Mm.
2: This is really tricky. Ah uh, What's coming to mind right now, which is really terrible and is going to turn away all of your audience? No, but, this is great. Uh, that's
1: what we're looking for.
2: Somebody who's just so well versed in their craft and and can make such game time decisions. I'm thinking about Tom Brady, greatest of all time quarterback. <laughs> wow, <laughs> you know, Actually, I think that's a
1: pretty good call. I, I'm a big Tom Brady fan because I'm from Michigan and he went right. to Michigan. I'm
2: Michigan grad.
1: You're from Boston, right? I'm
2: from Worcester. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Garbage. So that nice. right,
1: right, right, nice. <laughs> um, I wasn't thinking that direction, but I really like Tom Brady. He's, he's uh, like you said, makes, makes good game-time decision <laughs> and, like, master of his craft, always knows where to throw the ball. Hannah?
0: Um, oh, gosh. Wait, during, like, your uh, explanations of this specific opera, I yeah. was thinking of... Um, <laughs> uh, do you know, Phil, have you ever watched More Girls? Yes, Do you of know the the show. It was very much uh, the explanation of the guy that was like a womanizer sort of, um, reminded me of Lo- the character Logan. Logan. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm thinking like further back, I feel like the writer of that show, Amy Sherman Palladino, is very well versed in her craft can write to the depths of, of human emotion and feeling. And so I will submit her name. Gil love girls. That. That's yeah, great. She also did um, uh, Marvelous Mrs. Mazel. Great show.
2: What I really like about that, too, is that humor is used in a very intentional way, where yeah. sometimes humor can sometimes be like a self-defense mechanism. But that's not what Mozart's doing. He no. knows he's being funny, and it's crafty. Yeah. And that writer definitely does yeah. that, for sure. And there's a precision, too, yeah.
1: That's a great call. I, that, you, see, we were nervous that you guys weren't going to be able to do this. And I was like, that's fantastic. I've, I,
0: do you I'll, know that show?
1: I watched, like, one episode at one point, and people have told me it's a really good show. So,
0: it, like, raised me, honestly. Like, just to, just so to, cool.
1: to, to clarify, there's Gilmore Girls and Gossip Girl. And those like, are very, <laughs> very different. Very different right? Gilmore Girls is, like...
0: It's Connecticut-based. It's, like, a t-
1: Oh, the a character teenage- went to Yale, right?
0: Yep, yeah. she went to Yale. Oh, yeah.
1: That's why I've heard many times about that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: That makes sense.
1: Everyone mentions that. Okay, good. So, next composer. Um, my next composer is Bach, another composer that I venture to guess a lot of people have have heard of at some point. Bach, even older than Mozart. Bach is the the composer furthest back that we'll talk about. He lived from the late seventeenth century to the mid eighteenth century. So a while ago and bach was very religious he worked in churches his entire life and and the thing with bach that i think really sets him apart again amazing composer just like mozart he, kind of the the musical voice of his era the baroque era but bach always had this kind of a lot of there are a lot of books about bach and mathematics Um, Geometry Reason uh, Because Bach was so Unbelievably perfectionist Meticulous in the way that he wrote stuff There's this amazing thing In the clip that I'm going to play you from the Bach Chacon I saw One violin teacher I once had Was giving this talk about Bach and the golden mean Which is like the it's, It's like When you split something Evenly so that you can Um I'm gonna butcher this. There's like a golden mean in nature where like most climaxes of novels occur at kind of the golden mean point of a story. It's like, it's, it's this mathematical ratio that is like the perfect ratio of whatever, a terrible explanation, but it's something like 64% or something. A lot of climaxes of books come at that point the highest note in this piece that I'm going to play for you, the Bach Chacon, happens to come exactly at the golden mean wow. of the piece, which is, like, crazy. You know, He can't have been thinking that way, but it just shows how attuned he was to, like, proportions. Um, and so when I think of Bach, I think of that. I think of, like, every note being so carefully chosen, so well-crafted, and that's kind of what you hear. It's it's moving, but it's moving in a very, like, rational way. It's just like, this is, this is objective beauty. It's so well-crafted. So here's a little clip from that, that piece I was mentioning, Bach Chacon. So there was our there was our Bach clip. Let's let's send it back to you guys. What do you think? This kind of super rational, stripped down to its bare bones, like essence of music. Everything's in place. What do we think?
2: What's nice about it is that it's it's so metered, um, and it's making me think of you know self care type things like float tanks and yoga or something like that where you go and you know what the experience is going to be and it allows you to internalize a little bit, um, with this structure in mind. And I feel like Bach really evokes that.
1: I love that's like, and that's definitely like a a thing that's making a comeback is meditation, yoga, those float tanks for sure. I mean, I can definitely, I know a lot of people actually who either, if they listen to music when they actually, like, do some sort of meditating or something mm-hmm. or also just, like, background music have on Bach yeah. because it's very, like, meditative I in a way. I think it's
0: actually, like, recommended. Like, of all classical it's, music, Bach is recommended. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, pinballing off of Phil, like, paddle boarding in a, in a sense, like, there's there's a balance to it, but there's... So that requires focus, but also just once you're finally up on the board, balanced, paddling along, you get to like look at this gorgeous lake, and there's a sense of sereneness to it, and it's just blissful.
1: Yeah, I like that, and I think like for our listeners, kind of people might be drawn to Bach because it is a very thoughtful and relaxing yeah. listening experience. That's not to say anything that that it's not. Um, moving or anything like that, but it is and that's that's totally fine. I don't feel like we're doing Bach any sort of disservice by saying that. It's like a it's it's great music to listen to to, you know, meditate or relax, whatever it may be.
2: Yeah, even if the you know it's up tempo, it's still it's still metered and it's still, you know you know what to expect a little bit. You can see what's coming and that there's something cathartic about that
0: there, yeah and there's like a serenity to it that makes me think of like sitting on a front porch of someone's yeah. house with the open lawn and it's like summertime and it's just peaceful it's, and
1: yeah it's yeah it, it's it's great music yeah. so this is good because this will take us to our next composer because I think the other the other thing that people often uh say about Bach is that like every note is is in the right place it's You know, he was religious. People say he had, like, this... Oh,
2: divine... Yeah, like,
1: it was, like, divine intervention. He had some, like, connection with the divine where he just knew, this, like, this is how it has to be. Um, And our next composer, maybe the most famous composer of all of classical music, is very similar in that way. It's Beethoven. And Beethoven is hard for me to even describe or come up with... An analogy because he was so he had this ability like Bach to always know what should come next but in Beethoven unlike in Bach it's not always that makes sense or that is in the right place or it's there's surprises all over the place there's uh, the unexpected there's the dramatic there's a but it always makes sense it always is the most moving beautiful way of constructing a piece. And unlike Bach, Bach is kind of like, you know, if I studied for a million years, I could write like Bach. Beethoven is like, you could never, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just like this genius that he knew something that other people didn't know and knew where to put these things. Now, Beethoven's music is also so... Diverse widespread he really had three eras of his life where he wrote very very different type of music His late music is somewhat Bach-esque in that it's very meditative Very minimalist his early music is very Mozart-esque it's basically classical and then his his middle period is very romantic very tumultuous Um, But the only thing I can think of and I'm thinking of this because my dad happens to be a philosophy professor, and so this is this is dangerous territory because I know I will get <laughs> raked over the coals for, yes. for for butchering this analogy. And uh, but um, I took one philosophy class, and the the main thing they talked about was the philosopher Kant
3: mm-hmm.
1: was this huge huge development in. Philosophy and thought, because it really kind of shifted the entire course of philosophy from, and I'm I'm going to butcher this description, but something that was kind of external. You know, you you think about things, how you should do things as um, non-human experiences. Like there's there's going to be a true code of ethics. There's going to be and in con, I, it seems from my elementary understanding it became much more internal you know your code of ethics depends on y- your own interpretation of the world your everything that you see is your own interpretation of something. and that's a that's a terrible oversimplification but it, it's the it's, beethoven was a similar seismic shift in music from what i would consider somewhat external to somewhat internal. He really introduced feelings into music in a way that other composers didn't really do. So I wanna play two clips from Beethoven that illustrate little differences in his styles and then we'll throw it to you guys again. So here's the first one. So that's that's the first one. That's the last moment of Beethoven's seventh symphony. And one thing, one big element of Beethoven is just this exuberant energy and kind of heroism that a lot of his pieces have, very loud, very bombastic. But I also want to play this, a brief moment from one of his piano sonatas, which is one of my favorite moments in all of music. And it's this it's this, again, this sense of like, no one else could, could write something like this. It's the most beautiful thing, and just, you know, he had some sort of amazing ability to tap into some element of human emotion. my favorite beethoven pieces i wish i could play the whole thing right now but what do you guys think uh this one is really i'm just i'm also trying to think of like the major cultural movers in in recent times just because like it it doesn't really relate to how beethoven's music actually sounds but just what he did for music was so massive it Mm -hmm. was like what is there i'm I can't come up with anything.
0: During your description, all I could think about, especially, like, the the career moves and changes of Beethoven, I thought so much... First of all, Be- I think Beethoven is probably my favorite composer, uh-huh. at least at the moment. I could not... Mine, too. Mine, yeah, too. Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah, really? Um, drinks afterwards. <laughs> um, I could not stop thinking about, like, my my favorite actor is Meryl Streep Uh and I get so much joy listening to Beethoven and I also get a lot of joy watching Meryl Streep act like who's watching The Big Little Lies she, I was on the fence about season two but she has completely changed the game and she's so amazing (laughs) to watch and she's fantastic so just like the transition of this lengthy meaningful career that she has had I think is almost like Beethoven, and yeah. it's like she has made a mark on acting and and that industry, and all like people will be watching her for her work for decades to come. Yeah, and people like th- that sustainability sustainability is is almost akin to Beethoven. Like I think Beethoven will probably be around for longer. Um well. but I think what she has done in her career will be studied for by people. Yeah, like, enjoyed by people for. Decades.
1: Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Beethoven didn't live to a a super old age. But one thing that's amazing to see in Beethoven and a fair number of other composers is the kind of aesthetic shifts that go on in Beethoven's music. His like tastes line up very closely with kind of uh, what you associate with youthfulness, yeah. kind of young adulthood, maturity, and then old age. I, I mean it seems to me somewhat the same in Meryl Streep. Like she, she's really got this new style in her old age that's very much, it's amazing to watch. It's something that you almost see like you couldn't really do that unless you've seen the industry for 40 years yeah. and you had all this. Ex- and, and very much similarly like Beethoven's late music is like you, you, you couldn't have done this unless you you've like exhaust you've seen it and you're yeah 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 Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: I know with this you're looking for big cultural shifts but instead I'm going to talk about the office Um, so those moments in the office where Jim Halpert looks at the camera directly Mm. um, are those like small things where you're not supposed to do that as an actor you absolutely aren't supposed to look at the camera at all but it's little just like little changes subtleties that you're not supposed to do but you do intentionally to break the rules I think can be really powerful um, and I feel like Beethoven does that all the time he makes these small he knows what the rules are but instead changes them just a little bit and it it sort of creates a depth to the music mm-hmm. that you wouldn't have otherwise had
1: it's amazing That's uh, good the, too. The, That's the office cool. is my favorite TV show yes. so perfect to connect it with my favorite composer. <laughs> yeah.
2: This is not my favorite TV show. We're one out of two on that one, but that's okay.
1: That's okay. That's okay. What (laughs) What is your TV? Yeah. Oh, I
2: don't know. Probably Sherlock. Yeah, there's too many. I watch too much. Sherlock, really. I have never
0: got into that show.
1: It's it's all about The Office for me. I've watched it. (laughs) It's so
0: good. I've probably
1: watched it 12 times. Although, Curb Your Enthusiasm is making a hard push. for, for an Oh, my God. It's so funny. Yeah. All right. Good. So next composer we're knocking these out of the park so those are I think those are maybe the three most famous classical composers Bach Beethoven uh, Mozart I want to do a few more though just so that our our listeners have a couple others that they can think about my next one is Brahms who is outside of the those three who you know everyone says they, they should be your favorite three composers. and By no means do they have to be anyone's favorite three composers, but they really are kind of in a league of their own in terms of the, the ability with their craft. But uh, of the... If we want to even call it the next tier, because Brahms, Brahms is so fantastic, but of the next tier, Brahms is certainly my favorite. And Brahms was more of a late romantic. He came after Beethoven, and he had this, um, ability to, he was really focused on, he was very conservative in his taste, and he, a lot of what he did was, uh, paying homage to a previous era. He wrote a lot of, uh, symphonies in, in a very strict form of people who, his, his predecessors, Beethoven, Mozart, um, wrote a lot of chamber music same way he didn't like to push the boundaries when he did he did it very much at the margins and he felt that a little bit like Bach and he loved Bach the development of your craft is really what was the most important and showing your ability to craft things in music was very important so he was really careful about what actually was published in the end and so his his opus um, his collections of works is is only stuff that had his full stamp of approval and he was very deliberate about what he wanted to put out and and then there's also this element in Brahms cuz he was really a romantic composer there's a lot of feeling in the music but it's it's somewhat restrained feeling it's it, it never takes over over the kind of craft of and he had a interesting life he was it's been well documented he was in love with his mentor robert schumann's wife schumann died and then brahms and clara schumann had this kind of nebulous semi relationship and so it's clear that he had feelings but he was nothing like a tchaikovsky who was one of the most emotional people who ever lived or you know he was very restrained and so you hear that in his music i'll play one little brief clip it's it's Amazing, beautiful music, but also there's the tiniest bit of restraint. Um, So here's a clip from a Brahms trio. So yeah, I think maybe you can hear in that it's it's beautiful, but it's also I often think this is kind of a I don't mean to be morbid, but this is when you go to like a funeral or something, there are different ways that people are but there are people who kind of openly cry and there are people who hold back reserve their emotions, kind of put on a brave face, show some and and Brahms is very much the you know, it's he's the he's the doesn't always show the emotion, but it's, it's there and you can feel it. Um, and it's, it's, ve- it's very powerful a lot of the time. It's all, often more powerful than people who just throw all of their feelings onto the page. So anyways, who uh, I, what I'm thinking about in Brahms is someone who kind of looks back constantly to the past. And, oh, I didn't give my own uh, pairing. I have a pairing for this one, and actually, this will maybe help you guys because, yes, because this one is a is less of a, a ancient reference. Do you watch Top Chef at all? Sometimes. So, I have gone. I haven't actually been to his real restaurant, but I've been to like the, the offshoot of his Tom Colicchio's yeah. restaurant, and it's called in New York. It's called Craft. And the real restaurant, the the offshoot does this less, but to a lesser extent. But the real restaurant really does this, where their entire menu is like salmon with butter sauce, yeah. or like it, like there's no it, there's no dishes that are like uh, salmon with. Uh, a bed of arugula and, yeah, yeah, Yeah. none of that stuff. It's, it's entirely about, like, if it's fish, it's about the cut of the fish, the cook of the fish, the very light seasoning that, but it's like about the fish. If it's like a chicken dish, there's not, like, it's all about, there's like, two ingredients on, on each dish or something. I mean, not quite, but, but it's all about the craft of cooking. And so you go there to appreciate, like, this is going to be an amazingly cooked piece of fish. It's not, like... They're not going to wow you with, like, insane flavors that you've never seen before, but it's very much... So that's what I thought of when I thought of Brahms. Is like, you know, he's not trying to push the envelope with, like, yeah, foam and liquid nitrogen mm. ice cream or something, but it's, like... <laughs> we cook this properly all that yeah any ideas off of that or is that is that just a that does it
0: i wish i was like more in tune with like the fashion industry because i'm sure that there's definitely like designers that do like fall back on tradition yeah. like chanel like or i
3: don't know yeah
0: um or like something around that era, where area where you can you know fall back on what the traditions have been, and then really serve that look um, and that feeling. I've and then I like tried to think of like politicians that are, have like a reputation of being reserved, and the closest I could think of, but like still uh, carry themselves off well. Yeah. And the closest I could think of like was John McCain. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I
1: can I can see that. Also, Brahms was kind of a conservative. Yeah, exactly. Uh, not not politically necessarily, but he without
0: he was, getting into the politics yeah, yeah. too much. Like just as a
2: figure. Yeah. Like
0: that's I can see that probably what I would submit.
1: Yeah.
2: It's funny that you mentioned fashion because actually the first thing that came to mind was the brand Patagonia. It's it's something that you you purchase and you know it's going to be of good quality and they'll guarantee it for a certain amount of time mm-hmm. and. Uh, Something about Brahms's music—it's guaranteed that you're going to not that you're going to like it, but it's guaranteed to be well made. Yeah, um, so that's there's good. Some, there's something yeah. about it, and that's not really <laughs> pop culture per se. But there's something about it, like, oh, I know what I'm getting myself into when I listen to Brahms. I like,
1: like that. It's when like, I
2: buy a Patagonia pullover, it's going to be made well.
1: That's that's a good call. Yeah, that's it's good. got like a it's got like a guarantee of excellent craftsmans craftsmanship, craftsmanship yeah. in Brahms. Good, good, good. <laughs> so, next composer, couple more here um another one of my absolute favorite composers uh Igor Stravinsky who wrote The Rite of Spring some other famous The Firebird some other famous ballets and he kind of like Beethoven came at a time of huge uh cultural shift and musical taste change and he was really the head of the modernist movement in in music um he broke all of the rules of of composition he wrote very daring works they're very brazen jagged and i'll play you a clip but i'll give you my um my thoughts on this one before i even play the clip he's very much picasso-esque for me in that um it's jagged. It's warped. It's really the the figurehead of modernism, and he took so many things about painting and just turned them on their head. And one thing that people have always said about Picasso, I've heard many people mention this, um, is that Picasso. And I've actually seen some of Picasso's like early paintings, or not, he was an unbelievable technical painter. You know, he could paint anything in the most realist way that he, you know, it would look photographic. Um, So it's not that he didn't have the the skills. It's that he was intentionally breaking the rules, changing stuff. And it's the same with Stravinsky. I mean, Stravinsky is a fantastic technician, composer, like these other composers we've mentioned. Every note has a purpose. And you see these Stravinsky scores, it's chaos on the page. And yet, it wouldn't be the same if, if one of those notes weren't there. Yeah. So let me play you this little clip. We can hear a little bit of the Picasso-esque sound, and then, and then I'll have you guys react. All right, so might sound like a little bit of chaos, but yeah. but you can take my word for it. If if we took out something from there, if we changed it, it, it would it would lose all of the effectiveness. I mean, it's so well crafted. I mean, yeah, it's it's fantastic music.
0: Um, so what do you think? Yeah, so I guess I didn't get this from the listen, but yeah. definitely from like the explanation. Your your thoughts on Tchaikovsky? I thought about lin Manuel Miranda the creator of Hamilton oh, nice. and I definitely think that he first first of all like In the Heights is also an amazing show so you should check that out. Um I
1: have to tell you that's the only Broadway show I've are ever you seen. Kidding? I've seen it. Yeah. We when my when my like high school was on tour, my yes. high school orchestra was on tour in New York. We saw In the Heights.
0: That's it's such a good show. It was great. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So and I think what he has done with in the heights and hamilton like that's the future of broadway yeah um and just all of the things going on in hamilton is a lot to fathom but
2: it is genius once you're there and you see it a lot like stravinsky and fantastic
1: that's a really good one
2: this is a tough one. I've got more general ideas for this than specific examples, but I mean, Stravinsky's so metal. Um, isn't it in the right of yeah. the spring? People literally left during the premiere of it. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's too intense. Yeah, yeah. So in, in general terms, like I try to think, you know, change is hard and difficult, and do I not like something because it's different, or do I not like it because I don't like it? And so something about Stravinsky's music makes me think about that, because it's n- new and it's avant-garde, but it's still it's still good, and it's rhythmic and it has different attributes that I'm just not used to looking at in music. So in in general, in general sweeps for, you know, pop culture or whatever it is that if something's new and out there, I try to take a moment to think and make sure, <laughs> do I not like this because it's, it I don't like it or do I not like it because it's different in general?
1: That's a good thing for all of our listeners, yeah. a, a good attitude for all of our listeners <laughs> yeah. to take to everything because of course, I think people feel that way about modern music in general is that, yeah. Maybe I don't like this simply because it's different, and they don't think about that enough, and they equate different with with bad. And of that's course, a great
0: philosophy with everything. Though. Yeah, it's, like, that's a
1: good life philosophy. Even <laughs> <laughs> exactly, there are Stravinsky-esque people out there who, you know, you peel back a couple layers, yeah. and they're amazing. Yeah. All right, so the last composer that I want to go over is is another one of my personal favorites someone who wrote primarily for orchestra and whose work has been kind of rediscovered in the last 50, 60 years, but now is, is a, maybe not a household name, but super famous in the music world, and that's Mahler. Um, and Mahler's music uh, seems to have this resonance with people that, that people are um, just amazed when they... When they listen to it, that it feels like there's. I think for a lot of people, it felt this way for me when I first started listening to Mahler, that there was so much that I didn't even understand was going on, um, but it's just amazing. And so, again, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm risking. Uh, getting a real talking to here because I may not, I may completely butcher this this connection for me, but it makes me think of uh, the writer who shares my last name of James Joyce. Um, my my dad's name is in fact James Joyce, the, the yes. aforementioned philosopher, <laughs> and um, as a result, uh, he has read some some James Joyce. But I have also I've tried to read James Joyce and. Uh, Partly just because it's it's funny, yeah. but also he's supposed to be one of the Fantastic. most incredible writers. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you if you try to sit down and read some James Joyce, it's like, what is going on?
0: Oh no, I love it. Have you? Have you read Dubliners? Yeah. yeah. So that,
1: that that is a good actual. That's uh, a good
0: intro to. Joyce. Segue. Yeah, yeah, because
1: because what I was saying with Molar, there are there are some you can tell with James Joyce, there's stuff that comes across that's just beautiful writing and enjoyable. But if you sit down with like one page of Ulysses or something, there are entire there are like guides that guide you through Ulysses, yeah. and for each. Line of writing. There's like 12 allusions and things that you would have missed and just, it doesn't actually make all that much sense maybe to me uh, the the kind of lay person trying to read it and there's so much in there that y- you have to understand about other James Joyce, about writers prior to James Joyce, about Irish history, about like all yeah. this stuff that that you can miss on first, second, a hundredth reading. And Mahler is the same way. Mahler's music is filled with allusions to other moments in Mahler, uh, other moments in classical music. More generally, it's it's tied in this amazing way to kind of classical forms. So Mahler will take like, a movement like a scherzo and the entire form of the movement will be some sort of deconstruction of a scherzo in a way that's just genius and you you wouldn't really notice that was happening but it's like a full recomposition of of a classical scherzo mm-hmm. and that's one way in which Mahler is so incredible is that you can literally listen I have literally listened hundreds of times, and there's always new things, mm. things that you missed, and they're these amazing things. They're, they're illusions, these moments that break through. I'm going to play you one clip. We can't do this justice in, like, one one clip, but... Um, and I'm thinking maybe at some point we'll we'll do an entire podcast where we we'll just go through a Mahler symphony yes. and, like, talk a little bit about some of this stuff, but... Here's one little clip where we're in the middle of this kind of tumultuous, stormy scherzo, and we get this window into this kind of heavenly world that turns out, we don't know it yet, but this is going to be the fifth movement of this piece. We're in the second movement, and out of nowhere we go to this totally other world. Then we go along for another 40 minutes, and then suddenly we come back to this place. But here's this brief you get this vision into somewhere else. And this is one of the things that Mahler does so amazingly well. Um, So here's this clip. All right, so it's it's uh, I love it. it's it's just amazing music, but you guys, I can tell you have you you have one for this. So firstly, Phil.
2: I'm so glad Mahler's involved because when I'm trying to be cooler than I actually am, Mahler is my answer for my favorite composer. Nice. Beethoven's <laughs> the actual answer, but Mahler's like the the cooler one. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, I can see that. I feel really good about this parallel. So Game of Thrones is my parallel to Mahler. Mm. So. Um, when it comes to listening to Mahler, at least for me, like it's, it's generally his symphonies are super long, so it's an experience and you have to sit down and be really intentional about it and listen to it through the whole thing. It's really rewarding when you do that, but it is like an hour and a half of your time. And with Game of Thrones, I feel like it's another one of those things where you have to sit down and you have to pay attention and there are little nuances and storylines and things that you might not pick up on the first time you watch it. But if you do, if you sit down and you pay attention, it's generally quite rewarding. Sometimes. Depends that is. On your thoughts yeah, that's excellent.
1: An unbelievable parallel. And I even
0: can't... better, even better and more relevant than mine because Game of Thrones just ended sadly. But mine was Mad Men. I don't know if you ever watched that show, but it's no, very, very similar where if you miss an episode, like you don't know what's going on in, in the next one. Or if you rewatch, I've rewatched it maybe like three times because it is an excellent show. And then you. You pick up on so many different things on yeah. the rewatch. It's fantastic.
1: I, I haven't seen Mad Men, but the Game of Thrones, this is why we, we brought you, Phil. Yeah. Game of Thrones is such a good parallel. Excellent. So you guys did a fantastic job, much better than I even expected. It was it was great. Um, fun. And I want to, this whole kind of exercise, I just want to emphasize the fact that, like, all of these are great composers, and I don't mean to even my p- parallels. In the case of Beethoven, but in the case of all of them, like you, you can't um, you can't really give them a, a legitimate parallel that captures everything because all of them went through stylistic changes. They all write very different stuff. Um, it's hard to describe any of their music, but but I hope this is just helpful for people in. Uh, thinking about, you know, the differences in composers. I mean, I think maybe people don't even always think about that, but when you hear two pieces by two different composers, uh, it's important to know if you can, you know, where they came from, when they were alive, what was important to them, uh, what made their music sound the way it does. And a lot of that you can just hear in the music, you can also read about it there's always program notes if you go to a concert but but that's that's um an important thing to think about i think for people is that anyone who writes music we haven't talked about that a lot on the podcast but anyone who writes music is is a human being they have their own style they have their own motivations and so um they're all a little different and hopefully also i think a bach one for example was great if people are into meditation and and uh Minimalizing their life a little bit, then Bach might be the music for that for that period. And if you really want to uh, hunker down and listen to something 10, 10 times, go for a Mahler symphony because you'll get something out of it every time. But mm-hmm. hopefully, that's that's helpful for our for our listeners.
0: So we're gonna wrap up here. Thank you so much, Phil, for joining us. It was oh goodness, so much fun so much to have me. you. Yes,
1: great, thank guest.
0: You. great guest, great guest. Oh my gosh, yes. Um. So listeners. Take a look out for the upcoming episode, the third and final of our, what's the title again? Live performance. Live performance series.
1: series. That one will be about artistry. Yeah. Uh, Whatever that means.
0: In the meantime, keep listening to the podcast, keep uh, sharing it with all your friends, and thanks for listening.
1: Yeah, we also have, uh, we should mention, we have an Indiegogo campaign out at the moment for our our podcast, Um, so please check that out. There's a link on our website, attentiontodetailpod.com, and... As always, feel free to email us, attention to detailpod at gmail.com, or contact us via our website. I'm curious to hear what our listeners think about our pairings and if they have any uh, other ideas. I'm sure people, people feel very strongly about this kind of thing, so I'm curious what people have to say. Thank you. We'll, uh, we'll see you next time. For more information about this podcast, you can find us at attentiontodetailpod.com, where you'll find a list of techniques presented in these episodes and a two-week program for starting your own listening practice. You can also find us on all of your favorite social media channels. We encourage you to follow us, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and if you enjoy the show, please give us a rating. We hope to see you soon at a concert.